Today, we'll be doing a two-part message. We'll do part one this morning and part two tonight. And we'll be, we'll be looking at Psalm 16. So if you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 16, we'll consider verses one to three tonight. And then we'll consider the rest of the psalm. Psalm 16. Mitchum of David, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names unto my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord, who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now the psalm is here identified as a Mitchum of David, as are Psalms 56 to 60. A psalm with this title is generally recognized as a golden psalm. A golden psalm. It would be considered golden probably because of the subject matter. It was very precious to the penman. Very dear to the writer. And we see the writer of the psalm as David. David is the penman, but this psalm speaks of Christ, beloved. This psalm speaks of Christ all throughout it, one person. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this because of verses 8 and 11 are ascribed to him. Look at verses 8 and 11. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also rests in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. There's only one holy one, and that's Christ. Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We know this because those, this portion there is ascribed to Christ. Christ. And we see the apostles quoting this passage and declare that the subject is Christ, not the psalmist. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 28. For David speaketh concerning him, that's Christ, 
I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover also, my flesh shall rest in hope, because that will not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of thy countenance. Now turn over to Acts chapter 13. Now David saw corruption, didn't he? Because he's just like you and I. But the one whom God raised up here saw no corruption in the psalm. He saw no corruption. And what, much of what is taught in, the, in this psalm may be applicable to the saints. There's, there's a lot in there that is applicable to us. But, but we're in Christ, aren't we? <laughs> we're in Christ. Now look what Paul declares over here in Acts chapter 13. Verses 35 to 37. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. See? He died just like we all can die. But, the, but he, being Christ, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. So we know just right there from these scriptures that this is speaking of Christ. This is speaking of Christ. This blessed psalm is so directly applied under the influence of God, the Holy Ghost, by the apostles Paul and and Peter, which we just saw, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. David is the writer, but the subject is Christ. He is the object of this wonderful psalm. Let's go back to Psalm 16. Here in the psalm, Christ and and his covenant engagements are are beautifully set forth before us, beloved. Look at verse 1 again. A Mitchum of Paul, or Mitchum, Mitchum, thinking Paul because we just read, Mitchum of David, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Now notice this too. Preserve me, O God. That's even a cry of the believer, isn't it? That's a cry of us, too. But Christ as God is the one spoken of, is the Lord who preserveth all them that love him. God preserves all his people, all of them. But the wicked he will destroy. He'll destroy them. In all God's saints, who are we preserved in? Who are we preserved in? We're only preserved in Christ, aren't we? Jude says this. Jude says this. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, so set apart, made holy, and we know that's in Christ, and listen to this, and preserved in Jesus Christ. That's Jude chapter 1, or Jude 1, 1. Preserved in Christ, and called. So it says here, preserve me, O God. And God's people are preserved because God views us positionally in Christ. He views us positionally in Christ. But in Christ's incarnation with regard to his humanity, Christ had need of being preserved by God from the enemies that sought to destroy him. He was preserved by God. Turn, if you would, to Psalm Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Do you know that the kings of the earth... The rulers that set themselves against him 
And we saw that. We saw that. We see that in, as we read the, 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 the Gospels. We see how they, the rulers, the religious rulers, the, 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 the rulers of the day were all set against Christ. They were set against him. Look at this in Psalm 2, verses 1 to 3. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against, set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That's natural man. Want nothing to do with God. Want nothing to do with Christ. I was in that state once. Were you? We believers, we, we praise our God that he didn't leave us in that state. He didn't leave us in that state. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Our Lord was preserved by God in his humanity. Look at this in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now think of this, too, that God, in his providence, had had the wise men bring things and offerings to the Lord. (laughs) Now, we know that Joseph and Mary were, were poor. They couldn't afford just to get up and run, but, but by God's providence, he had had the wise men come and give gifts, and they had, they had the, the means to go. All by God's providence, him preserving the Lord Jesus Christ as a baby. He was preserved from God by hunger and thirst and fatigue. When uh, Turn, if you would, uh, to Hebrews chapter 5. We know that our Lord, when he prayed, When he prayed, he was heard. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. When our Lord cried out, our God provided. In the days of his flesh here must be understood the different state to that of his glory. He was the word of God incarnate. God manifest in the flesh. The God-man mediator and the expression here is strong to this purpose. The days of his flesh spoken of in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7 speaks of a time of his abode in our world accomplishing the redemption of his people. And during this period, the Son of God's humiliation on earth, which we call his incarnation. I love that the old timers call it his humiliation because think of what he left the glories and splendor of heaven to come to this sin-cursed world to redeem his people by the shedding of his own precious blood. Last Sunday night we looked at through his poverty we're made rich. 
And he did this to redeem, again, to redeem his people from their sins. He was subject to all the feelings and infirmities of, of our nature, yet without sin. Yet without sin. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. And we rejoice in the mercy of our great God, don't we? And it's a certainty of his having been made like to his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. I can and do go to Jesus because he knows that we are all but flesh. He knows. He knows this is God, but he feels it as man. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, he will surely now in the day of his power take part in his high priestly office with his people. When we are in the depths of soul and when we cry out to our great God, he hears us. And he preserves us. And he keeps us. We have a high priest, though, who, who, who knows what we suffer. And what sweet thoughts are here before us. And that he himself has suffered, again, being tempted, yet without sin. And he knows how to help and how to comfort those that are tempted. He knows. So what a merciful God we have. What a merciful Redeemer we have. What a merciful Savior the Lord Jesus Christ is. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 49. Our Lord declares that he's, our, our, our God Jehovah declares that he preserved Christ for the benefit of his elect. Isaiah chapter 49 Verses 8 to 13. The Lord, Jehovah declares that he preserved Christ for the benefit of his elect. Isaiah 49, verses 8 to 13. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee. And I will preserve thee and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. That thou mayest say to the prisoners, go forth. And that's what he says to us, isn't it? That's what he says to us, we who are his people. Go forth to them that are in darkness. Show yourselves. They shall feed in the ways, and their pastures shall be all high places. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For, for he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, and he leads us, doesn't he? We're his sheep, and he's our shepherd. And he leads us all through this world. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them, even by the springs of water shall he guide them. We hunger and thirst after righteousness, don't we? And I will make all my mountains away, and my highways shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come from far and low, those from the north and from the west, and those from the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful, O earth, and break forth into long singing, O mountains, for the Lord hath comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. And how has he comforted us? 
How has he had mercy upon the afflicted? We have salvation in and through Christ alone. We have the forgiveness of all our sins in Christ. We have the payment of all our sins paid for in full. And there's no conditions, as I mentioned in Sunday school, there's no conditions that we have to do for that salvation. Isn't that wonderful? What mercy God has upon his people. In religion, they tell you what you've got to do all the time. I was there, I know. Can't do this, you can't wear that. My family knows what it was like when, when, when we were in religion. It was horrible. But praise God. I have a salvation now, and, and you who are his blood-bought people, we have a salvation that's not conditioned upon what we do. It's all conditioned upon Christ. Now, we obediently obey our Lord, don't we? We desire to walk a holy life. We can't, we're not antinomians. We desire to, to live a life that, that, that honors our God. And, 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 but we, we have to admit we're sinners, aren't we? But our salvation is not conditioned upon us. It's outside of ourselves, and it's in Christ, in Christ alone. And the believer says, hallelujah. What a Savior. <laughs> this is wonderful. This is absolutely wonderful. And that's why the love of Christ constrains us from sin. You see, that's why we're, we're constrained by our love for Christ. We're constrained by that. It's wonderful. Now, think of before you were saved, we weren't constrained by that love. So we did whatever we wanted to do, didn't we? That's why we don't desire to do the things that we did or we struggle against our sin. We never struggled before. Now, there's a battle. Now there's a battle with the spirit and the flesh. Oh my. So what salvation we have in Christ. Let's go back to verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Now the Hebrew word God here is, is, the, is El meaning strength or the strong one, the mighty one, the almighty one. And we saw in Sunday school that none but our Omnipotent God is worthy of being the one in whom we trust. And all our trust is to be placed in Him and in Him alone. Angels were Christ's ministers and therefore could not be trusted to be His preserver of His people. We are only to trust in Christ. Turn, if you would, to the book of Job. Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4. We are only to trust in Christ. We are instructed this. Only trust in Christ. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in angels. Don't, we only trust in Christ, in Christ alone. Job chapter 4, verses 17 to 21. Shall mortal man be more just than God? No, we're all dead in trespasses and sins, aren't we? Hopeless and helpless. Shall a man be more pure than his maker? No, in God's eyes, we can't even stand in his presence because he's absolute holiness and we're, we're absolute sinners, aren't we? Oh my, but, but praise God, we can stand in his presence clothed in that perfect spotless righteousness of Christ. Look at this. Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels. He charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without regarding it. 
Doth not their excellency which is in them go away? They die. They perish. They die even without wisdom. See, we're not to put any trust in man or angels or any other. Our trust is in God and God alone. And that's in Christ and Christ alone. It's folly to put trust in anything else. And it'll lead to your destruction. Whether you trust in yourself or whether you trust in someone else, there's only one who we trust in. Christ and Christ alone. Christ and Christ alone. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. At the arrest of Jesus, the scriptures proclaim that his own disciples forsook him and fled. And when his enemies came and arrested him, just as the scriptures proclaim, And this is why we don't put our trust in men because we'll see what natural man does here. <laughs> we'll see what the apostles did. And these were men who were close to Christ. And look what they did. And we do the same thing. We would have done the same thing. Matthew twenty six fifty six. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled and all the disciples forsook him and fled. They just took off. They just took off. This is why we put no trust in man or the commandments of man. Our trust and our hope, our salvation, is all in Christ. It's all in Christ. It's in, it's in Christ alone. There's nothing added to that and there's nothing taken away from that. If your hope is not in Christ alone, then you have a hope which will lead to your destruction. Salvation, the scriptures proclaim, is in Christ, in Christ alone. Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. It is he, the believer proclaims, who has saved me. And it is he, who the believer proclaims, will keep me. Because I know if I was left to myself, I would be gone. Because we're sinners. We're still, we're safe sinners, but we're still sinners, aren't we? Oh my, what a Savior. It's in God, it's in the Almighty One, the Mighty One that we put our trust in. This is why we must trust Him and Him alone. Look at verse 2. Oh my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my goodness, my goodness extendeth not to thee. Notice it says, oh my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. This is the first occurrence of Lord in this verse. and It's the Hebrew Jehovah. The second is the Hebrew Adonai. And Christ, therefore, confesses the covenant God of Israel as his master. He's in full submission. Remember, he's in his humanity, and he's in full submission to the Father. He's in full submission to the Father. Completely submissive to Jehovah to do his will. To do his will. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 40. And then put your finger in Hebrews chapter 10. Psalm 40 in Hebrews chapter 10. We see this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, Christ was completely submissive to the will of Jehovah. Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8 in Hebrews chapter 10. Psalm 40, verses 7 and 8. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. 
This book is a hymn book. We've often said, I've often said that. You've often heard other preachers say that. This is a hymn book. This is all about Christ. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. The scriptures proclaim Christ. And then look at this. I will delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So Christ delighted to do the will of the Father. Now I'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 7. 1 to 7. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So all those sacrifices, again, could never take away sin that they offered. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. They were but they were but a picture pointing to Christ. Pointing to Christ. Wherefore, look at this, when he cometh in the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, meaning about Christ, in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So we saw that in the Old Testament, declared, and we see it in the New Testament. Christ came to do the will of the Father. He came to this earth to do the will of the Father. So we see the writer of the Hebrews ascribing again this text to Christ. And as I said earlier, Christ was, as man, was completely submissive to Jehovah. He delighted to do the will of God. Look at verse 1 there in Hebrews 10. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Beloved, what is a shadow? As I'm standing here, I have a shadow right here on my, on my own notes. What is a shadow? A shadow cannot be formed but from some substance. Right? You won't have a shadow unless you have a substance. And the substance must be before the shadow. The substance must be before the shadow. You put your hand or, or your body between light and the earth, and what does it do? It forms a shadow, doesn't it? It forms a shadow. Suppose that either the hand or the body was removed in that scenario and we just, that we just thought of, and there'd be no shadow, would there? There'd be no shadow because there's no substance. And if you remove the light or the earth, there, again, there'd be no shadow either. Either way. Now apply this to the subject of this verse. The law is said to have been a shadow of good things to come. But the very existence of the shadow, what? Implies the pre-existence of the substance. And you know what the scriptures proclaim? Yeah, I know you know this, but I'm going to say it again. 
The scriptures proclaim that Christ is what? The lamb slain from when? The foundation of the world. Now the law was before Christ's incarnation, wasn't it? Oh my. Oh my. Scriptures declare, and all that dwell on the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain, what? From the foundation of the world. So the law was just a shadow. Just a shadow. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. Who's the good things to come? Christ. Christ. He's the good thing to come. So it's very evident then that Christ was set up from everlasting. In all things, he hath the preeminence. Look at verses 11 to 14 of chapter 10 there in Hebrews. And every priest standeth daily ministering and, often, and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which could never take away sins. But this man, being Christ, But this man, after he offered one sacrifice, just one, one sacrifice for sins forever. Do you know that? He offered himself as a sacrifice once for our sins, and they're forever paid for. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's good news for sinners, isn't it? That's good news for sinners who can't pay for one of their sins. That's good news. That's why we proclaim Christ is the only hope for sinners. The only hope. After he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, what did he do? Sat down on the right hand of God. It's done. It's finished. See, the priests in the Old Testament, they never sat down. They were ever busy in the Holy of Holies doing work. Our Lord just sat down. It's done. The work's finished. It's finished. From henceforth... Expect until his enemies be made his footstools. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Now we're still sinners, aren't we? We're still sinners. But we're clothed in that perfect spotless righteousness of Christ, we who are his blood-bought people. So that when God looks upon us, he sees Christ. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't see no spot or blemish in us. Oh my So think how great the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is infinitely great in wisdom, righteousness, holiness, mercy, and grace. Infinitely. Infinitely. Great in wisdom, righteousness, holiness, mercy, and grace. So how far-reaching is his redemption? He can take the blackest, most vile sinner, can he? He can. And he can make him white as snow, and the believer says, that's me. (laughs) Oh, my. Don't ever think your sins are too great to not flee to Christ. He can make the the blackest sinner white as snow. White as snow. And he says this, look what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. We have have proof of that because look what he says. Of his blood-bought people and their sins and iniquities, well, I remember what? No more. Now where remission is, there's no more offering for sin. There's no more, there's nothing left to be offered because Christ offered himself up for the sins of his people. The perfect sacrifice. Nothing left to be offered. Nothing left.
You know, they're always talking about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem and all that. You hear that? You hear, you hear people say that and, and all this. Um, and I used to be caught up in it way back when. They talk about rebuilding the temple and offering sacrifices. You know what that would be in God's eyes, beloved? An abomination. That would be an abomination in God's eyes. You know why? You know why? Because Christ is the final sacrifice. Christ is the one sacrifice. There is no need for any more sacrifices. Oh, praise God, beloved. You who are beloved of God, praise Him. Praise Him because you're saved by the one who offered Himself a perfect sacrifice for the sins of His people. Wonder of wonders. The Lord saved me. That's what we say, isn't it? We are in wonder that the Lord saved us. Oh, what a great God we have. Let's go back to Psalm 16. Look at verse 2 again. Oh, my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. Now, Christ did indeed possess goodness. He's the sinless God-man. He's God incarnate in the flesh. And this declaration, though, can only be made regarding him because there's, there's none other that can be said to be good. Right? Because the Scriptures declare there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God, they are all gone out of the way, they are all together become unprofitable, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. So we know this is only, this is only talking about Christ. And notice that he, he declared that he had no goodness apart from Jehovah. Our Lord says this, or in James it says this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So we declare that no goodness, any goodness that comes from us, it comes from the Lord. It's not in us inherently at all. And notice he, the, he declared here that his goodness did not extend to Jehovah. He confessed that God is not increased by anything done for him by, by man. He's not decreased by anything done against him by man. He's absolutely independent. <laughs> we don't add anything to God. Nothing. He's absolutely independent, beloved. We saw that in our first study in the Attributes of God in Sunday School. On the solitariness of God. Why did he create this world and why did he create all, all things? Because it pleased him to do so. Why did he choose to save we who are his blood-bought people. Why did he choose to save us in eternity? Because it pleased him to do so. It, it manifests his glory. <laughs> it's amazing. God does whatever he pleases to do because he's God. Therefore, he can do whatever he pleases to do. It's wonderful. Turn, if you would, to Job chapter 35. Job chapter 35. All the goodness of the world is unprofitable to the Lord. Whether men bless God or revile God, no one can add to his glory or lessen his glory. And think upon this, the glory of the sun is never less. It's never less. The glory of the sun is never less for dark clouds below. Because the sun is so far above the clouds. It's still bright in its glory, isn't it? even though the clouds may sometimes darken our, our, the earth here. We don't always see the sun. It's cloudy. 
if the, the sun's still up there in all its glory. <laughs> That's how God is, beloved. He's still up there in all his glory, and nothing's added to him, and nothing's taken away from him. Look at this in Job chapter 35, verses 5 to 8. Look unto the heavens and see, and behold the clouds which are higher than thou. If thou sinnest, what dost thou against him? Or if thou transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. My, oh my. We don't add anything or take anything away from our great God. He's absolutely independent from us. My. The Lord hath no need of our services, and we who are his blood-bought people, we declare that all the good that any man is enabled to do, the ability that, that, that we have, comes from our great God. It comes from our great God, doesn't it? And what is Christ to the believer? He's the fairest among 10,000. He's the fairest among 10,000. To his redeemed. And, and, and why do we feel that way? Because we're fully pardoned in him. <laughs> fully pardoned him. Fully forgiven in him. There's no, there's no forgiveness or pardon in ourselves, is there? Only condemnation. So this is why Christ is the fairest of 10,000 to his people. He's absolutely wonderful. He's redeemed my soul. In him, by the shedding of his, of his blood, my eternal soul is purchased, redeemed. I'm totally forgiven in him. Marvel, beloved. If you are his people, you are too. No wonder we praise his name. No wonder we rejoice in this great salvation. Let us marvel. You know the Lord delights in his people? You know he delights in us? He delights in his bride. We saw that in our study in Song of Solomon. He delights in his people. He delights in his bride. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to... to, to to ponder that, to let it sink in, but we ought to. He delights in us. The God of the universe delights in his blood-bought people, in his bride. Despite all our unworthiness, despite all our unworthiness, despite our basefulness and our, and our sinfulness, yet the Lord still delights in us because he purchased us. We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. We're his blood-washed people. And his people are clothed in, in his perfect spotless righteousness, which he wrought out for us in his life and in his death. And he delights in us. Beloved, he loves you with an everlasting love. I know it's hard for us to fathom this, but it's a truth. It's a truth we marvel at. Look at verse 3 here. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Oh my goodness. Christ, having loved his own which were in the world, 
He loves them until the end. And we know Christ is the excellent one. Yet God delights in his people. Called here saints in this verse. I ask you who are married, you men, do you delight in your bride? We do, don't we? (laughs) Well, Christ delights in his bride. (laughs) Think of how the love sometimes when we look upon our our, our brides and and we feel, and and you wives too for your husbands, and, and how we feel. It's absolutely amazing. But this is how the Lord feels about every single one of his children. Every one. Every one. Every single one. We who are his people, again, are sinful creatures, but we're seen as spotless, and God delights in us. And this is brought forth right here in this wonderful verse. I can't get over this, to be honest with you. It's absolutely amazing. Because I know what I am. You know what you are, too. We know we're sinners. But look at this. But to the saints, that, that's God's born-again, blood-washed people that are in the earth. That's us. And to the excellent, that's Christ, in whom is all my delights. See, God delights in Christ, therefore he delights, for, delights in, in those who are in Christ. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, Paul writes this. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. You see, Paul had the same struggle. This is Apostle Paul writing in Romans chapter 7. You see, Paul has the same struggle we all do with sin. The Apostle Paul. We, we often forget that these men were just like us. Now, they were highly gifted and given, given the, uh, by inspiration of God the pen letters, but they were sinners saved by grace just like you and I. And Paul writes this again, for the good that I would do, I do not. Paul's struggling with sin. But the evil which I would not, that I do. He's just being honest, isn't he? Paul's just being honest with us, beloved. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. Despite all that, The Lord delights in his people (laughs) because he sees us in Christ. It's wonderful. Oh, my. It says, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delights. Christ speaks of their excellence before him. And God speaks of his delight in excellence he sees in Christ, his son. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 62. The saints are Christ's delight. This is the last portion we'll look at. The saints are Christ's delight because of the promise that he has made to them as their husband. See, we who are his blood-bought people are what? We're the bride of Christ, aren't we? We saw that so, so clearly and plainly in our study in the book of Song of Solomon. And Christ delights in his bride. He delights in his bride. Look at this in in Isaiah chapter 62, this is a wonderful portion. Starting in verse 1, we'll read verses 1 to 4. 
For Zion's sake will I, will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteous thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all, thy, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be, thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Look at this. Thou shalt be no more termed forsaken. Oh, my. Neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. Oh, what desolation there was in our lives before the Lord saved us. But thou shalt be called Hepzibah. Literally, my delight is in her. In thy land, Beulah, literally married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. Beloved of God, the Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation of our nature hath married us, beloved. We are in him. He is the bridegroom. We are his bride. We are his bride. The Lord's people are his blood-bought bride. He purchased us. He purchased us with his own precious blood. And we know the life of the flesh is in the blood, isn't it? And he gave his life for us. He's made us one with himself. And how this is balm to the believer's soul. How it may bring comfort to God's people to know that God delights in us, in Christ, and we are kept and preserved in him. What a Savior. What a Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy word and for allowing us to gather together and the privilege and the honor. We, we are so thankful. We who are your people, so grateful that you allow us to do this. We have freedom to be able to do this. We and liberty to be able to do this. And, and we thank thee, O Lord, by thy providence and by thy hand that we have the ability to do this. We pray that you would be glorified tonight through the preaching of your word as we continue to look at this psalm. We pray that our hearts again would be drawn to thee and away from this world. And that for a time, O Lord, that we could just rejoice in thee. We thank thee that, that you have opened up your word to your people, that you give us understanding. We pray that the truths that we looked at today that we would take these truths and that they would be a balm to our soul this week, that we would think upon them and meditate upon them all through the week, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, may we never get over the fact that you marvel and de- or that you delight in us, that you delight in us, we who are your people, who are purchased by thy precious blood. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.